my name is Seth Schaefer. Uh, I am a farmer with Red Clay Farm. It's my family's farm. Uh, we're located in uh, southeast Tennessee, um, close to the Georgia border. Uh, we are a certified organic farm. Uh, we're a mixed, diversified uh, vegetable and grain growing operation. Uh, we sell at farmer's markets, uh, CSAs, we have some wholesale accounts, uh, and then we sell to a decent amount of individuals. So before we begin, uh, I want to poll the room. Uh, how many people here are currently growing grains and selling the milled products? No one? Man, okay. How many people here uh, mill for home use, home baking? You have a small mill at home? Okay. Okay, a few hands. All right. Cool. All right. It kind of helps me to know who I'm talking with. So before we get into the meat of things, uh, I want to cover yields. Now, keep in mind the yields that I have uh, up on the screen, they are slightly conservative. Uh, your yields are going to be changing uh, based on your location, uh, your soil fertility, uh, as well as your location. Um, your temperature, you know, there's a lot of different things that go into yields, but on average, uh, these are some of the yields that you can expect from growing different grains. Uh, so, for example, you know, if you're wanting to start off, you don't need a ton of land uh, to grow grains. You know, you don't need 50 acres. Uh, usually at Red Clay Farm, we have anywhere between one to four acres of grains growing uh, at any one time during the, during the growing season. So, for corn, uh, one acre of corn will be it can produce about 135 bushels. Uh, 135 bushels translates into 6,750 pounds of corn. That's a lot of 50 pound bags that you have to figure out where you're gonna store it all uh, once you finish harvesting. Uh, for one acre, of, uh, one acre of wheat can produce about 40 bushels. Uh, that's 2,000 pounds of wheat. Uh, rye for one acre, it can produce about 35 to 50 uh, bushels, and that's going to be about 1,500 to 2,500 pounds um, of the raw product when you get done prior to milling. So something that you're going to hear me say a lot during this presentation is plan ahead. You're going to be planning ahead from the time you first start thinking about growing grains to when you're actually going to be growing grains to when you're going to be harvesting them to when you're going to be selling them. It's always, you got to be a couple steps ahead of yourself. So to begin with, you know, if you're going to be planting grains, uh, go ahead and do a soil test. Figure out what your baseline is to begin with. Uh, once you do your soil test, follow the recommendations for the crop that you're going to be planting. Uh, in your off season, you know, we're, we're getting ready to go into the spring, uh, so if you're going to be growing something in the summertime and you're in a more temperate climate, you still have a chance to put in a cover crop. Uh, cover crops are extremely useful for a number of different reasons, uh, one of them being uh, that they will help uh, rejuvenate your soil. They're returning nutrients back to the soil that maybe have been taken out from a previous crop. Uh, during the off-season, which is usually uh, wintertime uh, for most people, uh, they help to keep your soil covered. Uh, is keeping the soil in place uh, so that way you don't have to worry about wind uh, or water erosion. Uh, grains do not like wet feet, so you're going to want to find a place that is going to be flat, that's going to be well drained. Uh, if it has a little bit of a slope, uh, that's okay. You know, it'll help the excess water uh, drain off. 
Um, and when you're growing your grains, uh, sometimes some people will intercede a cover crop uh, with their grains. Now, I want to take a moment and talk about this. Most of the time with interseeding, you're going to be seeing this happening uh, when you're growing something more like corn or beans. You've got your row spacing is a little bit wider uh, and you can plant down a cover crop uh, that is once again going to be helping to hold down your soil. Um, but usually when this intercropping is happening, it is happening at the beginning of the growing season. Uh, it's being drilled into the ground in between the rows of corn or beans uh, or at the end of the season. Uh, it is being broadcast with a broadcast spreader uh, in between your crop. Now, the reason it's done at the beginning or the end of the season is because your crop canopy has not closed over the rest of your field, thereby inhibiting light um, to reach down into those uh, passageways in between your rows. And your cover crop is just like any other plant, and it's going to need um, sunlight, air, and water to grow. Uh, you can try to intercede a cover crop in between your cereal grains, maybe your wheat or your rye. Uh, that can be a little more tricky. Uh, if your cover crop is not dense enough or it hasn't come up well enough, you will have weeds coming up with your cover crop. And at that point, the only way to weed your grains so you don't lose them is going to be to weed out both the cover crop and the grain. So you've got to be a little more careful when doing the grains uh, with interceding a cover crop. Okay, so let's say you've already figured out where you're going to be growing uh, your grains. You've prepared the land. Uh, now you need to start thinking about, okay, I'm going to be growing this stuff. Where am I going to be selling it? Who am I going to be selling it to? So again, do your homework. Are there other millers or grain growers in your area? If so, what are their target audiences? Uh, how are they packaging their products? How are they selling it? Um, are they shipping? You know, what's, what's going on there? And if you already have a little bit of competition in your area from other uh, sellers, think about how you can stand out. Uh, what can you do to make people want to come buy your product versus the competition? Some ways of doing this is uh, potentially becoming certified organic. Uh, a lot of people these days, um, they're gravitating towards certified organic grains and milled products. Um, you can even get, you know, if you don't have enough land to grow every different type of grain that you're wanting to grow, you can purchase certified organic grains and then run them through your mill and sell the milled products. Uh, so you're not by any means limited to selling uh, just products that you're growing. Uh, you can also uh, potentially get heritage grains. These are uh, ancient grain varieties. Um, that haven't been tampered with as much as far as uh, possibly flavor as well as different items uh, and that can make you stand out as well. So you know be thinking about okay how much is it going to cost me to purchase the grains and mill them? How much is it going to cost me to purchase the seed, plant it, purchase the equipment uh, needed to harvest uh, and then process the milled product and then take it to market? So there's a lot of different uh, factors in here that you need to cons be considering, uh, but it's a fun journey. Uh, I would recommend you know, that you start small. You know, when you first start off, uh, think about what items people are wanting in your neck of the woods. For us, we're in Southeast Tennessee. Uh, so corn, uh, grits, cornmeal are two very hot items for us. So 
you know, for starting off, let's say uh, you're going to start small, maybe one acre of wheat and one acre of corn. That's going to give you a lot of product uh, to work with. Uh, with. With that one acre, um, you're going to be able to uh, be producing a whole lot of bread flour, uh, a whole lot of uh, all-purpose flour uh, if, you, if you're doing a, a wheat type. Uh, this can be turned into uh, waffles, it can be turned into bread, uh, as well as pizzas. And obviously with your uh, corn, you can be making uh, cornmeal, and, or you can be offering cornmeal and grits uh, to your customers. So just with two different products, or two different grains that you're growing, you can have a number of different products out there. Now, for where we are uh, in the country, the southeast, uh, what we have found is that growing a soft red wheat uh, is the type of wheat that grows best in our area of the country. Uh, you can also uh, try growing a white wheat uh, called breck. Um, it's another type of wheat that grows well uh, in the southeast. Uh, if you're in more of like the northern part of the country or maybe the west, a hard red wheat uh, variety uh, will do best in those types of climates. All right, so if you figured out where you're going to be growing your grains, uh, what type of grains you're going to be growing, now you need to figure out where you're going to get the seed for these different grains. So the list that I have up on the screen are all different places that we source uh, our different grains, whether they're strictly for milling or for seed sources. Uh, we get some of our seeds from uh, Windy Acre Farm. It's in Orlinda, Tennessee, fairly close to Nashville. Uh, Azure Standard uh, is a uh, shipping company here in the U.S. Uh, we get a number of different grains from them. Uh, Berea College in Kentucky. Uh, Wise Acre Farm uh, in Hayes, Kansas are just a couple of the different places that we can, we can source our, our products from. Um, and, you know, depending on where you live in the country, you may live in an area that is known for growing grains, and you may have a lot of grain farmers in your area, and you can definitely talk to them and find out, you know, where are you getting your seed from, uh, what, are your, what are some of your suppliers in this local area. Uh, I can promise you if you can pick up uh, grains, it'll definitely decrease your shipping costs uh, because grains do weigh a decent amount and that can all uh, affect pricing. All right, so planting your grains. Uh, most of us here have probably grown a vegetable garden at some point uh, in time. Uh, and so we're used to following seasons. You know, you're not going to be finding tomatoes growing in the middle of December, uh, probably, unless you have a greenhouse or some other uh, way of keeping them warm. Well, the same thing is true for your different types of grains. Uh, two of the grains that we have grown are going to be the soft red wheat. It's considered a winter wheat, uh, as well as rye. Now, I'm usually trying to get my grains uh, for fall uh, planting in the ground uh, in September, uh, or October. Usually by the middle of October is when I'm trying to finish all my planting. Now, uh, you know, we're farmers. Things don't always go as planned. Uh, so sometimes I have had to plant uh, my fall grains uh, as late as November or December. I haven't noticed that much of a difference. 
with the crop as it's growing uh, if I plant it a little bit later. Yes, the yields may be a little bit less, uh, but it still grows, it still comes up, it just may be a little bit slower uh, in the entire process of growing. So doing things on time uh, is definitely very important. Now, if you're planning on growing um, maybe a type of corn uh, for your summertime, or maybe you're going to grow some beans, uh, those are definitely crops that you're going to want to grow uh, starting in May or June. Now, obviously, wherever you are located in the U.S. will dictate when you can plant your crops. So do your research for your own area of the country. Uh, and also do keep in mind uh, when you're growing any of these grains, whether they're the cereal grains or the corn, uh, you will have X days to maturity, uh, especially for the corn. Uh, usually that's like a 90 to maybe 100 or 110 days uh, till harvest. So do keep that in mind when you're planting. You don't want to plant it too late and then not get a harvest uh, at the end of your season. So uh, a couple things with, uh, with planting. It all depends on, on what type of a farmer or a grower you are. You know, if you're more of a conventional grower that uses herbicides uh, and pesticides, you know, you can definitely use that to clear out any grasses or weeds and then direct seed with a grain drill uh, through the residues of the plants. Uh, that'll help keep your soil covered uh, until your grains grow and then are covering the soil themselves. Uh, if you're more organic uh, or organically minded, uh, you can use a cover crop that you're going to grow before your grains are growing, and then you can use a roller crimper uh, to go ahead and kill the crop, lay it down flat as a weed mat, as a weed barrier, uh, and then use a drill and drill through that mat. Uh, and that's going to help you uh, keep your weeds down, at least for a period of time. Uh, and it's also going to mean uh, that your soil is going to be covered and it's going to help retain moisture, all things that are necessary uh, for uh, a, good, a good crop. Now, if you're more conventional or you don't have the ability to get a grain drill or get a roller crimper, then by all means, just do what farmers have been doing for years. Go ahead, plow up your land, uh, till or disc it, uh, and then go ahead and use a spreader to plant your seeds. Now, uh, if you're a backyard grower uh, and you don't have uh, the majority of the equipment that I just mentioned here, uh, you know, get your rototiller out, go ahead and till up your, your growing area, and then uh, you can use a chest or shoulder mounted cedar uh, that's usually used for uh, spreading grass seed uh, out across people's lawns. Uh, that'll do a pretty decent job of spreading the grains uh, across your growing area. Uh, you could also uh, put, your, put your grains into rows. Uh, simply make a, make a furrow in the ground with a hoe or a rake, scatter your seed into that furrow, and then cover it up like you would uh, with any other uh, type of vegetable seed. All right, so one thing I do want to mention here. Okay, so one thing to keep in mind is when you are growing your grains, uh, you will want to have some means of weeding the grains. And I'm going to be talking about this a little bit uh, further on, um, but this is something you need to keep in mind ahead of time. Uh, unless you're going to be using a pre-emergent herbicide uh, for planting, uh, you are going to have weeds coming up with your grains. Now, most cereal grains are going to look like grasses when they're first coming up. Uh, so keeping, keeping that in mind, uh, you will want to have some way of identifying where your grains are growing uh, versus where the weeds are growing. So uh, you can use a tine weeder 
uh, to weed in between your rows um, if, if you have them in rows, like with a grain drill, or, or if you've planted them in rows in your, in your home garden. Now, a lot of the time, uh, I have used a spreader uh, that goes on the back of a tractor uh, to go ahead and broadcast my grains uh, out across the field. When I've done that with the spreader, I've found that I don't really have a weed problem. It doesn't mean that the weeds aren't growing, but because the spreader is simply broadcasting across the field, all my grain is just falling wherever across the field. Maybe it's a couple inches apart, maybe it's right next to each other. And so the grain is becoming the dominant crop out there in that field, the dominant life form. And so it basically helps to smother out all the weeds. If I do have weeds, they are far and few between or they are very low growing weeds that can't compete with the grain uh, as it gets going. So the other picture up here on the slide is of a grain drill. Uh, this is a bit of a larger grain drill, uh, even for our needs. Um, we were able to rent this grain drill from the NRCS, that's the Natural Resource Conservation Service. Uh, for us, uh, they rented it to us for, I believe, $50 for a week, uh, and we could, we could plant whatever uh, we needed to with that grain drill. Keep in mind, with the grain drill and the spreader, this is for planting your cereal grain crops, uh, not for planting uh, corn. You probably could with the grain drill, but um, that's not necessarily its intended purpose. All right, so, so far I've been talking about growing cereal grains. Uh, if you are wanting to grow corn, you're going to need a few different uh, tools uh, for that. Now, if you are a backyard grower, uh, getting an earthway or a jang seeder uh, to plant corn in your, in your growing area is an excellent tool. Uh, I've used it in the past, uh, and it's, it's a whole lot better than going down your row and planting by hand, I can promise you that. Uh, however, if you're going to be growing at any uh, scale, uh, you will want some type of machine that will help you plant faster. Now, here on the screen uh, is an image of a John Deere 7000 planter. Uh, I got this uh, locally uh, from an equipment dealer, uh, and it is a two-row planter. These planters come in two-row, four-row, six-row, eight, 12, and 24-row. So depending on the size of uh, space that you're going to be growing, you can get the planter based on that. With this planter, I can put in, uh, it has hoppers for my seed, and it has hoppers for fertilizer. So I can plant and fertilize my crop at the same time if I wanted to do that. All right, so when you are planting your grain crop, you may want to, uh, you may want to lay down some type of fertilizer uh, to aid in its growth. Now, there's a number of different ways you can do this. Uh, when I'm planting corn, I can get a triple 19 fertilizer, add it to the fertilizer hopper of my corn planter, and just go through the field, and it's planting my corn and laying down the fertilizer right next to it. Uh, it's killing two birds with one stone, uh, and it's really simple. Now, usually, well, not usually, with, with any type of, whether it's grain or vegetable that I'm growing, you do not want to add all the fertilizer that that crop is going to need all at once. Your crop will not be able to take it all up, and you will end up losing a good amount of that fertilizer. So, in, in the case of corn or beans, for example, I'm giving it its first dose right when I'm planting it, and then I give it another dose of fertilizer, usually when the crop is about two, maybe three feet tall. Um, it's giving it, it's usually used up all of the fertilizer that I planted at planting. 
Uh, and so it's going to need another dose, and that second dose is, gonna what's, is what's going to help it uh, finish growing and then start its reproduction cycle. Uh, for most cereal grains, uh, I have a number of different options for fertilizing them. I can mix the fertilizer and the grain together in the hopper of the spreader, and they're spreading both out together, or I can do one after another. Now, I don't know how many of you have been keeping your eye on recent events, uh, but due to shipping uh, and other things, fertilizer prices are going through the roof. So if you want to use fertilizer for growing your vegetable crops, your grain crops, purchase it now. Uh, prices are already about $900 a ton for urea, which is coming down to about $30 for a 50-pound bag. That's not too bad if you just need one bag, but if you need 40 bags, ouch. Um, an option, another option that you have, uh, instead of using synthetic fertilizers, is if you live in an area of the country where there are chicken houses, where there are uh, dairies or other cattle operations, you can talk to those farmers about utilizing the manure that's coming off of their animals. Uh, a lot of times these farmers will have spreaders. Uh, they will load up for you and uh, bring out to your farm and then spread uh, what's would be considered more of a organic or natural type of fertilizer uh, down for your crops. Now, keep in mind, uh, especially if you're using chicken manure, chicken manure, this is considered a hot fertilizer. Uh, if you mix it in with your seed, uh, maybe nothing will happen uh, simply because it's gonna burn up your seed. So if you're gonna use a type of manure, I would recommend spreading it before, uh, before you do any planting. Uh, most of the time, these people will come out with a truck, they'll spread it across your field, uh, and then you can either disc it into the soil or till it in. Um, and then after it's been uh, worked into the soil, maybe give it a couple weeks and then do your planting. Uh, if I'm using a synthetic fertilizer, uh, I'm usually putting about 300 to 450 pounds uh, down per the acre. If I'm going to be using a type of manure, uh, I'm usually putting down two tons to the acre. Now. There's a big difference between 450 pounds and two tons. Uh, but if you think about what, what the fertilizer is, my synthetic fertilizers are very concentrated in their fertilizer uh, versus the manures, uh, they don't have as much fertilizer uh, in them. And they are also doing a more of a slow release of their nutrients back into the soil as, as they decompose into the soil. So hence why there's such a huge uh, difference uh, between the amounts that I'm adding to the fields. But again, before you do any fertilizing, you should have done a soil test, and that's going to tell you exactly how much fertilizer uh, your crops are going to need before you plant. Uh, do not just blindly add fertilizer uh, to your fields if it's not needed. All right, so you've planted your crop, um, regardless of whether it's a, a four-acre field or if it's a, a backyard uh, that you've turned into a garden or a grain-growing area. Uh, and, you know, as soon as you disturb your soil, something is going to start growing in it, whether it's the crop that you planted or maybe it's the weeds and the grasses uh, that already have uh, a weed seed bank established in the growing area. So as soon as you get done planting, your first cultivation pass uh, across your field needs to be between the time that you planted and the time that your, your grain crop is first emerging. You know, maybe that's a week, maybe that's less than a week. But sometime in that time period, you need to get out there and weed. 
Uh, you want to kill your weeds as quickly as possible. As soon as they start to poke up their little heads, you need to kill them. You never knew farming was such a, a violent occupation, did you? <laughs> uh, the second time that you're going to want to be uh, cultivating is uh, going to be a little bit different depending on the crop that you're growing. Uh, for grains, I don't know how many of you can see the picture on the lower uh, side of the screen here, um, but this is a uh, tying weeder and it's going through uh, the grains when they have about five to six leaves. So the plant is fairly well established at this point uh, and you're simply taking out any weeds that may have germinated and come up in between now and your first pass of cultivation. Um, with corn uh, or some other crop like that that has wider row spacings, I'm usually taking my cultivator out there into the field or maybe I'm using uh, a tiller to go in between the rows. Uh, and I'm doing it again, I'm following just like what I'm doing with the grains. Uh, as soon as I'm planting, I'm going out there making sure things are cultivated. Uh, and usually I continue to weed or cultivate my corn crop uh, until it's about uh, the two to three feet tall. At that point, the crop canopy has begun to close, uh, closing off light to any weeds uh, or other seeds that may be uh, trying to germinate. And so at that point, you may have some weeds that come up, uh, but they are very... Um, they're very small, they're far and few and in between. Now, I have used, uh, as, a, as an experimentation, I have used flame weeders uh, to take care of the weeds uh, growing out in my fields. I've had mixed success. Sometimes it works better than others. Uh, it's, it does work a whole lot better if your field is drier. Uh, don't go out there after a rainstorm and try to flame weed. Uh, it doesn't work. Um, a note on flame weeding, this only works if your crop has been planted or drilled into the ground. Uh, if you have your crop broadcast with a spreader, forget about it, you will cook your crop. Not something that you want. Now, some brands of tine weeders are uh, the Kovar weeder, the Enbach weeder, and the Lay weeder. Now, uh, Tillmore uh, they are a tractor manufacturing company. Uh, they also produce different types of implements for tractors. They also produce a tine weeder specifically geared for their tractors and also uh, one that can be mounted on a three-point hitch. So depending on, on the type of tractor that you have, uh, you do have some options uh, for mounting uh, tine weeders to your, to your implements. Uh, if you have a backyard garden, there are also uh, attachments for uh, smaller uh, rotor tillers, something like a BCS two-wheel tractor uh, that you can attach a cultivating implement behind the tractor and then go down in between your rows. Uh, so no matter what scale you are, you do have an option other than taking your hoe out into the field and trying to hoe every weed out of it. All right, so Let's say you're done weeding. Your crop has become established. Uh, it is, it's growing. It's doing beautifully. At this point, there's not really a lot you have to do with the crop. Uh, just sit back, enjoy watching it grow. Maybe go tend to other crops that you have growing on your farm uh, or your garden. Now, the one thing I will say is whether it's corn or whether it's a cereal grain crop, uh, the time that you do need to be watching the crop uh, is after the soft dough stage. So this means that your, your kernels of wheat or your corn, you know, they're beginning to harden. Uh, the crop is beginning to reach maturity. It's almost time to harvest. 
or getting close to it uh, and you want to keep an eye on it specifically if you're going to have a thunderstorm or a windstorm is going to come through because that type of uh, event can spell disaster uh, for your crop uh, and the reason for that is is your crop could lodge uh, during any one of these events lodging is basically uh, when the crop it's either at the very base of the stem uh, right above the soil or maybe at the root level the crop basically gives way and it lays down flat because of the wind or the rain that is pelting it. Uh, I'm sure we've all seen pictures of cornfields that have been flattened because of these events. The same thing is true with a wheat field. Uh, if that happens, best of luck. Uh, it's very hard, especially with cereal grains, to then pick up that grain crop and harvest it. Also, if it has been raining during this time period, uh, you're going to have wetness that's going to be coming on top of your grain. It's going to be laying down flat, and so your grain kernels can start to rot. They can mold, uh, or they can germinate uh, on their own. Uh, and those are all things that will inhibit you from harvesting the grain and then milling it. So that's just some of the things that you have to keep in mind uh, during the growing process. You know, and every year is different. Some years you may be able to go all the way through harvest and get a good crop. Other years, stuff happens. Um, but that's all part of life and part of farming. All right, so harvesting. Uh, I imagine harvesting is probably something that, whether you're a, a, a home gardener or a farmer, it's probably one of the times of year that you look forward to the most. Now, with harvesting grains, uh, you do have to take a few things into consideration. You know, if you have a small enough plot, definitely go ahead and harvest it by hand. It's fairly easy, especially with your corn uh, crop, to just go ahead, pluck it off the, the stalk, uh, shuck it, uh, and then put it somewhere where it's dry. Uh, with cereal grains, it may require a little bit more activity on your part uh, with harvesting the grain and then threshing it. Uh, but one thing you want to be sure of before you do any type of harvesting is you want to check the moisture level of the grain before you really get into your harvesting. The reason for that is, is because grain, like any other vegetable or crop that you're going to grow, it has moisture in, in the plant, in the grain head, uh, and you want most of that moisture gone by the time that you harvest it. Uh, just like, you know, if your grain gets flattened out in the field uh, because of a weather event and it starts to, to rot or something like that, the same thing is true. It will happen after you do your harvesting uh, if there's too much moisture. So getting a moisture tester uh, is going to be crucial to the success of, of this operation. Now, the moisture tester that I have up on the screen, this is the one that we got. Um, you can find these at the local co-op, tractor supply, uh, or a lot of online agricultural supply places. Now, we got this one specifically because it'll test beans, corn, and a ton of different grains. Rice, wheat, rye, you name it. This moisture tester can probably test it. Uh, it's, very, it's a small, compact model. It's about maybe five inches tall. Uh, very easy to take it out into your field with you and test your grain crop there instead of having to wait until after you harvest it. Okay, so when it comes time to harvesting your grain crop, 
you know, I've, I've mentioned a little bit about harvesting it. If you are a backyard grower, uh, it's fairly easy to do. Uh, but if you're growing at any type of scale, uh, a couple acres, maybe more, uh, I would not recommend trying to harvest your grain by hand. Uh, you're either going to have to have a lot of help or a lot of time on your hands. So, you know, most, most people are very familiar with uh, the Midwest. We see the big combines uh, going out there uh, with the grain carts and all the big tractors and whatnot. Most of us probably do not need that scale of operation. Now, if you don't have the budget for uh, a type of harvester and you have other grain farmers uh, in your area, definitely go talk to them and see if they are willing to come over and harvest your grain for you. Most of them are fairly willing, uh, as long as you're not asking um, too late into the season. You'll give them a little bit of advanced warning, uh, because the likelihood of asking a grain farmer to harvest your grain when they're trying to get a few hundred or a few thousand of their own acres in, um, they may not want to do the extra labor. Um, so that's an option that may work for some people. Now, uh, we have an international 1440 combine uh, on the farm. Uh, we were able to purchase it locally for less than $10,000. Uh, this is an older model combine. Uh, and yes, it needed some work. It still needs some work. So if you are mechanically minded uh, and don't mind uh, fixing up equipment, you enjoy doing something like that, then that may be a good, uh, a good winter project for you. Uh, otherwise, you will need to have somebody uh, that can come fix the combine for you. Um, but outside of self-propelled combines, there are uh, tractor-pulled or tractor-mounted combines. Now, originally when, when people were growing and harvesting grains, uh, right when, uh, when tractors were the main uh, farm implement, everything uh, that was supposed to be used with the tractor was supposed to be mounted on the tractor. Uh, so you can find a number of different uh, pull-behind combines, uh, such as the Aulis Chalmers uh, all-crop combine, uh, Case has several pull-behind combines, excuse me, and there's multiple other uh, brands out there that you can find. Um, most, of these, most of these types of combines, you're going to find them uh, more like in the Midwest or West where grain is being grown. Uh, and that's where Google and eBay uh, can definitely be your friend. Uh, but don't forget about the farmers and grain growers in your area that may have some of this type of equipment just in a barn somewhere that they're no longer using. So definitely talk to your neighbors, talk to your friends, uh, see what's out there and, and what may be available for your own farm. Now, uh, the, the topmost photo uh, on the left, my left of the screen, uh, that is an EQ Machinery Boaz uh, 100 combine. This is a modern day combine. Uh, it's a small self-propelled machine. Uh, it'll harvest the grain, it'll thresh it for you, and it will put it into uh, bags for you. So it's kind of like an all-in-one shop. Now, this combine costs about $7,500. Uh, and you'll notice that it's not very big. That crop head is somewhere between, I believe it's two and a half to four feet wide. If you have an acre of wheat, it's going to take you about six hours to harvest it all. So uh, do bear in mind, uh, sometimes the smaller pieces of equipment do take a little bit longer to get the harvesting job done. Uh, but that is an option out there for you. One thing before I move on to seed cleaners, um, you know, if, if you've had your grain harvested, um, 
you're going to need some way of threshing it if you don't have a combine uh, to do it for you or maybe get the corn off the cob. Um, not something you want to do on hand if you have, if you have a lot of it. Um, I know the Amish have a pedal-powered uh, thresher. Um, I've seen some videos uh, and pictures of these uh, machines. I have not been able to find one uh, for sale uh, outside of an Amish community. So uh, that may be something that, you know, if you have an Amish community uh, locally or nearby, you may want to go to them and, and just find out, you know, the Amish grow uh, a lot of different products, a lot of different grains. So find out, you know, how are you growing this, this, this crop? Uh, how are you harvesting it, threshing it, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and see what they do. Uh, because they, they don't rely on a lot of equipment and machinery uh, such as our, our modern uh, grain growers uh, do. So after, after a crop has been harvested, uh, it's not going to be like the grain uh, that you maybe find at the store that you maybe bring home to mill at home. It's all nice and clean and, and ready for use. Uh, I can promise you field, uh, field harvested grain will not be like that. You're going to have little pieces of organic matter. Uh, maybe you're going to have other things in the grain that needs to be cleaned before you run it through a mill. Uh, and that is where a seed cleaner comes into place. Now, uh, if you're a backyard gardener uh, and you don't need something this size, um, they have smaller models of these different types of seed cleaners. Uh, again, depending on your scale, uh, I have laid out the grain uh, on the ground and I've turned on a very powerful fan uh, and tried to blow away the chaff, maybe toss the grain up into the air and let the chaff blow away. It works, but it's a time-consuming process. Uh, with the seed cleaners that I have up here on the screen, uh, these are clipper seed cleaners. Uh, they are one of the more uh, well-known seed cleaners that were uh, in operation um, several years back, uh, but they do a very good job. Now, most of these uh, types of, of grain cleaners and whatnot, they are older models. Uh, so just like your, your pull-behind uh, combines or even older model combines, uh, they will need some refurbishment uh, if, you, if you find one in someone's barn that they're willing to sell to you. Now, again, you, know, you can do a Google or an eBay search uh, for these types of machines. Uh, but I have, uh, for finding these types of machines uh, within my price point, I have gone to uh, commoditytraders.biz. That's commoditytraders.biz. Uh, this is a company that sells all different types of, of farm machinery, but specifically they have these types of cleaners. They have tons of these cleaners uh, sitting around. Some of them have already been refurbished and are ready for use on your farm, whatever different size you may need. Others they will customize refurbish uh, to your specifications. So uh, a couple of the more well-known seed cleaners, uh, the Clipper 27, it's a, it's a larger seed cleaner. Uh, I don't have a picture of it, uh, but this is about the size of the Clipper 27. It's a very large machine. Uh, you definitely want to make sure you have a place to store this machine uh, before you purchase something that size. Uh, but that size of machine is going to run you about $1,000 to $2,000. They also have the 1 or 2B Clipper. Uh, it's a much smaller um, much smaller uh, grain cleaner, and those will run for about $300 to $400. So again, just based on your size, get the appropriate technology. It'll really help you out.
Okay, so for storing your grain, you've harvested it, you've cleaned it, now you need a place to store it. You know, if you have a small operation, uh, five gallon buckets with airtight lids work great. Uh, if you need something a little bit larger, uh, they have uh, grain bins, such as this one here in the center. Uh, they can hold uh, many, many pounds. I'm forgetting the, the uh, approximate number right now, uh, but they're, they're good to have around. They uh, also can be airtight. Just keep in mind, grains weigh a lot when you put them all together. So uh, the larger storage container you have, it may be harder to move. Uh, so with something like the middle grain bin, having a forklift or forks on your tractor or a pallet jack uh, is definitely going to be the way to go if you need to move it. Otherwise, move it ahead of time uh, and then leave it in place. Uh, I think we've all seen uh, the large grain bins on people's farms. Uh, these are are pretty useful uh, if you have a very large-scale operation. Uh, if you don't, um, it's something pretty to look at, but you're not going to be filling up the majority of it. Uh, so your money might be better spent uh, purchasing a smaller grain bin, uh, something that you will actually be able to use and is more manageable for your farm. Now, you remember I talked about uh, moisture testers uh, a couple slides ago. The author of the Organic Grain Grower uh, has uh, multiple books out, but one of his books um, is The Organic Grain Grower. And in that book, he walks you through the process of growing grains, uh, all the way from if you're a backyard gardener to if you're doing it at scale. Now, once, once your grain is harvested and whatnot, uh, maybe it's not dry enough at the time that you're, you're harvesting, so you may need to dry it out um, afterwards. He has... Uh, obviously this picture in the book and he talks about how he made his own grain dryer at home. Uh, it's basically a, a trailer that he has a fan uh, under the grain bin. The, the floor of the grain bin is uh, perforated with a bunch of holes so he can force the air up into the grain bin uh, and keep it, keep it drying out uh, and fresh. So uh, as far as Excuse me. As far as reading material goes for uh, learning how to uh, do all of this uh, from growing your grains all the way to selling them, uh, that is one book that I would highly recommend. Okay, milling your grains. So this is a photo of uh, the mill that we have at home. Uh, it is a uh, M500 Tyrolean stone mill. Uh, this mill uh, was originally created in Austria. Uh, it's six foot tall and six foot large. Uh, it can run about 200 pounds of grain uh, through it per hour, uh, and it definitely does everything we need it to do and more. Uh, now, with the Tyrolean stone mills, uh, they do come in different sizes. Uh, they have them much larger than this, and they also have them smaller than this. So again, based on your size, uh, this type of mill uh, may be something that works for you. Uh, all of these mills are electric, um, uh, and they're fairly easy to use. You know, you just make sure that your stones are set to the right uh, milling set, uh, and then you just start pouring in your grains um, there through the hopper like my dad is doing, uh, and you just let it do its milling. Now, with this particular mill, uh, you'll notice that it has different ports down here at the bottom and at, and at the end. Uh, as it's milling the grain, uh, it has different sieves uh, that are attached uh, to the uh, 
attached inside. And so while it's milling, we can get three different products uh, to come out at the same time. Uh, if we want to get grits, we can get grits coming out of one sieve, cornmeal coming out of another. And if we really wanted to do corn flour, we can get corn flour out of there as well. So it's pretty diversified in what it can do. Um, and it's a, it's a really a neat machine. Uh, for this one, I don't know if I already mentioned this, but we purchased this one uh, on eBay and then had it shipped in. Uh, it was already in the States, so we didn't have to worry about customs uh, or import fees or whatnot. Okay, so again, based on your size, you know, do your research. Uh, I've been repeating that a lot today. Uh, a lot of times, you know, if you're uh, a home miller, uh, you're not going to need uh, a six-foot tall, six-foot wide mill. Uh, so something like a Nutramil uh, works pretty decently uh, for grinding your own grains, you know, maybe even using a Vitamix, uh, as long as it's dry before you add the grains uh, into it. Um, will work pretty decently for most people if you're just wanting to bake bread or, or grind the grains to bake bread uh, at home. Uh, there's also uh, mills such as the Meadows Mill, uh, the Country Living Grain Mill, uh, as well as a few others that are smaller, they're more portable, uh, and uh, fairly uh, economically viable, uh, even though some of these mills, you know, they can run a couple hundred dollars and up, just depending on the size and what it does. Uh, pretty much with all of these mills, uh, they're going to be electric. However, you can find some mills that are uh, hand-powered, uh, and those can be pretty good. You know, if you need to keep the kids occupied or you need something for the interns to do, set them to milling. All right, I, I already covered uh, the information on this slide, but you can tell on the, on the top corner over there, I have a photograph of a couple of the sieves that go uh, inside our mill. Uh, so that's what they look like. Um, and I would imagine, you know, if you were handy enough, crafty enough, you could probably even make your own sieve. Uh, but for the most part, I would recommend contacting the company and letting them know what you're wanting to get out of your mill and then they can uh, make the sieves for you and send them to you. Uh, just keep in mind this company uh, is in Austria so it may take a little while for the sieves to get to you. Alright, selling. So you've gone through all this work of growing your grains. Uh, you've You've harvested it, you've milled it, uh, it's all ready to sell. Uh, so there's a couple of things you need to keep in mind here. You know, once again, doing your homework. You know, if you've already checked out the area and seen who else is maybe growing or selling mills or selling milled products, uh, see how they're packaging them. You know, maybe you can semi-copy them uh, if it's a packaging system that works well for them. Um, but you know, do your research. This is uh, our display stand at market uh, over here on the screen. Uh, we have bags that have a clear window in them so that our customers, as well as ourselves, can tell uh, just at a glance what is in each one of these bags. Uh, we, purchase, uh, we purchase the bags uh, through Nashville Wraps. Uh, they're an online company. Uh, these bags are uh, fairly sturdy uh, as well as waterproof. Um, and they, they do very well. Now, if Nashville Wraps is out of the type of bags that we use, uh, we will sometimes go through Uline 
uh, to purchase bags that are very similar to the ones that you're seeing up on the screen. Uh, they just are slightly different construction, um, and we just prefer the ones that we get from Natural Wraps uh, better than Uline, but both of them work uh, very well for our purposes. Uh, for going to market as well as even at, at your home. You know, if you're, if you're growing and milling at, at this scale here, you're going to need some way of displaying your product. Uh, yes, you can. Uh, you can have it set out on your, on your market booth, uh, but we've found that uh, these collapsible origami shelves uh, work very well for taking to market as well as having them at home uh, so that way we can see what we have already milled and then we can figure out, okay, what do we need to mill next uh, to be able to um, increase our stock before we go to a market or if we have an order. Uh, most of the time we are selling our milled products in two pound bags. That's what you're seeing up here on the screen. Uh, sometimes, you know, when you're milling grains, you know, some grains are going to sell faster or better than others. Uh, so, you know, if we have a lot of extra uh, yellow cornmeal, uh, for example, or if we have a lot of cream of wheat because we've been uh, milling for different types of flours, uh, we will sometimes uh, put those into five-gallon uh, bags uh, and then offer those for customers as well. Some customers will just snatch those up really fast. Others just want to stick with the two-pound bags. You know, depending on yourself or your customer, you know, if you can't go through, you know, a two-pounder or a five-pounder uh, very quickly, uh, you, may, um, you may want to uh, put it in the refrigerator or the freezer, and that will expand. Uh, that will extend its lifespan uh, by at least a year. Now, with uh, packaging like what we have here, um, you're going to want to check with your ag department for your individual state uh, to see what their labeling requirements are uh, for your for your packaging if you're going to be selling it. Um, if you're sourcing grains uh, from out of state. Uh, you're going to need to be licensed and registered with the USDA. So don't just do your research on the physical actions of, of growing and selling uh, and milling your grains, but also check uh, the legal side of it as well. Um, think about, no, I already talked about that. You know, grains are a good addition uh, to your farm. Uh, you know, if you're already growing vegetables or if you have eggs or microgreens that you're, that you're growing, it's simply another product that is going to help people come to your booth. Uh, it's going to give them another reason when maybe your vegetables uh, haven't really come in just yet. Maybe you just have a few vegetables, but they see that you have the milled products, and it can help lead to other sales. Uh, sometimes people will ask us about shipping milled products to them. We pretty much stay away from that simply because a two-pound bag, uh, it will double in cost uh, if we're going to be shipping it. So unless somebody's just really anxious to get milled products, um, that just doesn't happen. Uh, we encourage them to come to us or come to a market. Uh, word of mouth, social media are two of the uh, biggest avenues that we have for advertising our product. Uh, our customers are sometimes best, some of our best advertisers. Uh, milled products work well uh, if, uh, if we are going to be adding them uh, to a CSA. You know, if, we, if you have a winter or a spring CSA, um, that can be another item that's different from vegetables or, or some other item that you may add to the CSA. Um, sometimes, though, it's, it's best to know, A, if your customers do bake. Uh, you don't want to give them something that they are not going to use. Uh, and also, don't overwhelm them 
uh, with milled products in the CSA boxes. Maybe give them one, maybe give them like a cream of wheat one week and wait a month and give them some grits or something else like that. Give them a chance to use it up and also maybe explain to them how to use some of these milled products. Uh, a lot of people these days, uh, they're more used to like the instant products, the instant cream of wheats and different things like that. Uh, and like with our grits, for example, it takes about 45 minutes to an hour of cooking uh, before they're ready. So they're definitely not instant. Okay, so the last thing I wanted to talk about here really quick um, is wholesale accounts. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the time, most of our sales are going to individuals at farmer's markets, maybe the CSA. Uh, but, you know, if you have restaurants or bakeries in your area, go ahead and contact them. Let them know what you have. Sometimes they will have already heard of you and will be contacting you instead. Now, don't expect these sales to be your bread and butter. No pun intended. Uh, most of these sales, uh, they're going to be buying them in bulk. So you can expect a couple months uh, in between sales to these different restaurants. It's not necessarily that they've forgotten about you. It just means they're slowly using up your product. Now, sometimes uh, you'll have other wholesalers or other wholesale accounts uh, that'll be purchasing smaller amounts, and those might be needing a resupply every couple weeks. Um, so just work with your suppliers. Uh, you know, if you haven't heard from them in a while, maybe contact them, let them know, hey, how are things going? Do you need a resupply? Uh, and if you're wanting to go after new customers, uh, definitely target them uh, and go after them heavy, just like you would with your vegetable products. Uh, maybe offer them a sample, uh, talk to the chef or the miller or the baker uh, in the restaurant and see uh, what products they're using, what items they're selling to their customers, uh, and if you can become one of their suppliers. Uh, don't be disheartened if they already have their own suppliers and they don't really want anything to do with you or your products. Uh, just go on to another, uh, another restaurant. Okay, so that's all I have for you today. Uh, this is a list of resources up on the screen, um, books uh, as well as websites uh, that uh, we have used uh, all through our growing process uh, with growing the grains and uh, milling them and selling them. So uh, I believe I have a couple minutes left uh, if there are any questions. Um, if I can't get to your question here, um, I do have a booth uh, in the exhibit area, and we do have uh, a number of different milled products uh, for sale there, uh, as well as popcorn. No, still, still go ahead and clean it. Uh, because, I mean, it, it does a pretty decent job. Uh, I've never seen one work in person, but I've been watching some videos and whatnot on it. Uh, it does a good job, but you're still going to have some organic matter mixed in there with the grains. Uh, so you'll... Uh, that's a good question. Most of the time, yes. Uh, I have... Most of the time, these... Mm -hmm. Yes, most of the time uh, the uh, Boaz 100 uh, combines, they are coming from overseas. India uh, is a very likely place. Um, I want to say I did see some used uh, for sale uh, on some different websites or whatnot that were here in the U.S., um, but off, off the top of my head, I'm not remembering where exactly that is. Okay, yes, that is a very good question. Um, I, have, I have it here in my notes, uh, but I didn't mention it. So the question was, uh, when you're getting ready to mill uh, your wheat, uh, what moisture content uh, is it? And I'm not finding my notes right now. But basically, uh, for corn, you want it to be about 15, 15 to 13% moisture, um, even a little bit less than that, uh, maybe even down to 10%, uh, before you're going to be running it through your mill. 
Uh, for wheat, you're going to want to harvest it or use it uh, when it's somewhere between uh, 18 to 20% moisture. It's a little bit of variation there, but it is a different type of crop. Um, now, one thing I do want to add to this question is just because you harvested uh, your crop at X moisture content level does not mean it's going to stay at that moisture content level. Uh, keep track of what's going on with your humidity, where you're storing your grains, uh, as well as where uh, before you mill them and after you mill them. The last thing you want is for it to begin to clump, um, to clump up uh, simply because it's a little too wet. Um, so keeping a dehumidifier uh, in whether you're storing the grains or where you're going to be uh, dealing with the milled products is something that can be beneficial. But know that it can, it can uh, increase moisture content. So just to follow up to that too, um, with your milled flour, mm -hmm. what's your shelf life as far as how many days, months that you can get in a sealed bag? Mm -hmm. Usually it's about, if, if you leave it out, you know, you're not going to be uh, putting it in the refrigerator or freezer. Uh, usually it's about three months, uh, sometimes four. It just depends on, you know, the longevity of, of the product, you know, and when you use it and whatnot. But yeah, generally it's three to four months uh, is the longevity of the product. Okay, for the grain bins, have I used any of them? Um, I have, let me get back to the picture here. Okay. So obviously we have the five gallon buckets. Um, we haven't used uh, this grain bin here in particular, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. The, the large one here. I'm gonna say it's probably, you can get different sizes of them, probably about 1,000, 2,000 uh, pounds uh, uh, is some of the numbers that I've, I remember hearing, sometimes even more than that. Are they pretty much hermetically sealed? Are they pretty much? I believe some of them do, uh, but you just you have to look and see you know when you're purchasing them if they come with that or not. So the question uh, I'm repeating this for AudioVerse. Uh, the question was uh, using uh, the uh, smaller box grain bin, uh, how much uh, it costs. Uh, generally speaking, uh, somewhere about seventy-five, maybe a hundred dollars uh, without a lid, and uh, if it comes with a lid, it may be a little bit more than that. Um, but again, doing, doing your research uh, in your local area, you may find people that already have some of these bins uh, for sale uh, and, and just want to move them. So Yeah, uh, so the question was uh, with lodging, how, how could you prevent that if you have a, a storm coming through? Uh, there's not really a lot you can do. I mean, depending on where your field is, you know, if it's bordered by trees, that may help to buffer some of the wind, some of the rain. Um, but yeah, there's not there's not really a lot you can do. Uh, you can pray about it. You can you can hope. Uh, I wouldn't recommend staying up all night uh, watching to see if your grains are flattening out or not. Um, but it, it's just one of those things that you have to deal with if you're growing grains. You know, and some years uh, you may get lucky and nothing happens. Other years, stuff may happen and you just have to well experience and try again next year. Do you have a question? growing zone. Okay, so my growing zone uh, is 7B in southeast Tennessee. So I get a, I get a little, bit of, uh, little bit of leeway uh, as we get closer towards fall um, for some crops. Yes? The, the Beck white wheat mm -hmm. is, is also a soft wheat. Okay. Uh, no, I'm asking you. Oh. 
I believe so. Um, I'd have to I'd have to go back and look look through uh, my notes for that, uh, but I, I believe it is a soft soft wheat. The question was if the Beck white wheat was a, a soft uh, wheat, and I believe it is. Yes. Einkorn wheat. Uh, so the question was, uh, have I tried growing any heritage grains such as einkorn wheat? Uh, we've, done, uh, we've done very small patches. Uh, we haven't done anything at scale yet, uh, primarily because the, um, the, uh, the price on these grains uh, does tend to go up if you're looking at the heritage varieties. Um, but we have done some small patches, and, and they've worked fairly well. Uh, we've, we've definitely enjoyed the flavor uh, that we've been getting out of these grains. It's a noticeable difference uh, from, your, from your more modern varieties. I haven't, I haven't had to deal with that, uh, with, with the little amount that we've, we've harvested for ourselves. These have been very small patches, uh, and I haven't noticed any extra cleaning that's had to happen. Uh, if I were to grow it at scale, I might notice that at that point, um, but it's, it's been so small, it's been clean it and, and use it. So, yes? No, I've always just used uh, the stone mill. When, uh, years ago, we did use uh, a Nutri mill um, for, for just our own, our own purposes. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the only experience I've had with mills. Uh, I know for, for like a smaller mill, it's definitely very easy. You know, like one of the countertop models, uh, if you're going to be cleaning that mill. Uh, okay, with the bigger one. Um, I mean, outside of, of taking a brush uh, to the mill uh, and just cleaning out, you know, some of some of the uh, outside areas uh, around the ports and whatnot, uh, we don't really do a whole lot of cleaning with it. Um, we just we just run the different types of milled product through it. Yes, there's probably a little bit of wheat that stays with the corn or the corn that stays with the wheat, uh, but it's very uh, it's very minute, uh, and so we we and our customers haven't noticed that. Um, so that hasn't been a problem. As a cover crop. Yeah, I've, I've grown buckwheat as a cover crop, uh, but I have never harvested it. Um, so one of the things I would like to do, but right now, there's a lot of things on my to-do list. Okay, uh, thank you very much uh, for coming to this class. Uh, if you have more questions, um, I'll be at the booth area uh, after lunch uh, at Red Clay Farm. Thank you very much. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.